I'm always seeing things on the news and thinking that can't be right, can it? Listen to the KYW News Radio in depth podcast and make it make sense. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. What is happening this week, Jay? I have to say, what I'm sure everyone else in the city of Philadelphia is thinking. What the heck is up with these masks, these probably, mask rules? Probably not the word I would have used in that scenario, <laughs> but yeah, when we talked to you on Monday, we we were starting a, a new mask mandate, and I can't even say it's funny what seven days can change, because we only made it Less to four. Less than seven. We only made it to four. Here we are, Friday, April the 22nd, and Philadelphia has basically just said, nope, masks are optional once again. I'm really very happy to be here with you tonight to say, it appears that we no longer need to mandate masks in Philadelphia and that we can actually move to simply a strong recommendation. And that, of course, is Dr. Cheryl Bettigold, the city's health commissioner, announcing yet another change to the city's mask policies. We're going to try to figure this out for you all on this Friday. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. Now, of course, it is Friday, and also you know what that means. We have our Sports Fan of the Week. Dave Uram will join us a little bit later on with that. Plus, um, Sabrina... We need to talk about this musical that you're working on. <laughs> it's called You're in Town. And yep. just the name of it alone is already piquing my interest. It's already going to be stuck in my string of consciousness. So now I just have to. We can talk we, about we it. We can definitely talk about it. We'll be on our P's and Q's talking about that as well. But right now we have to clear up some of this mass confusion because people are understandably frustrated. People like Jesse Andriozzi, the front of house manager at the Volstead by Unity in Maniunk where they had to make some changes to prepare for the mask mandate that was coming back just four days ago. So we, we pivoted and we got ready for the mask mandate. We were fine with it. Uh, we bought a whole bunch of extra masks. Uh, I just feel like it was a little unneeded. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. The numbers didn't skew that bad that they should flip like that. And it was just people don't want to do it anymore. And now all of that is just completely tossed out of the window and everyone's wondering, what's with the rapid reversal, the about face from city officials. What were they thinking in even doing this? And are we just going to be going through this whole yo-yo, this back and forth push and pull thing forever? So here to help us answer some of our burning questions about all of this is Dr. Darren Marinas from Einstein Healthcare Network. Dr. Marinas, thanks for helping us clear some of this up. Now, I think the first question that's on everyone's mind is just why? Why did the city decide to lift this mask mandate just four days after reinstating it? Well, uh, the city did give an explanation of why uh, they did this. Uh, First of all, the uh, Board of Health voted on Thursday night to lift the mandate and to scrap the entire plan. And the explanation given by the city and the commissioner is that they're not seeing a significant rise in hospitalizations. And so they didn't feel it was necessary to continue the mask mandate. However, there is a rise in cases. In addition, there's a metric on the old system that's now scrapped that talks about uh, 50% rise in cases uh, in the last 10 days, which were kind of there as well. Uh, Meanwhile, hospitalizations uh, are not, they say, not significantly rising, and and that is why they're going to scrap the mandate. So that's the explanation. And then, and then you wonder if there is more to this, right? Yeah. Uh, because hospitalization, yeah, hospitalizations were up to 82 on Sunday. And true, they came down to 65 by yesterday. 
but that's a very, very small amount of time. Also, there's some mixed messages because they're saying, well, the mandate worked, so we're stopping it, right? That, that doesn't make good sense, right? Um, so, I mean, one wonders if there's some pressure from being the odd man out, being the city that institute mass mandates. Uh, I would argue that the, the mandate was starting to do what it's intended to do, which is decrease the rise in cases and flatten the curve. And it seems a bit odd to abandon it and then say it, it worked. We all know that hospitalizations are lagging. They're a lagging indicator of, of disease. And um, you know, CDC bases their guidance on hospitalizations. And one could be critical of it to say, well, once you see significant rise in hospitalizations, cats out of the bag, masking at this point is gonna do something, but not as much as it could have done if you were proactive. And there's good data to support that. Now, what I'm gathering just from what you said there is that generally, especially with your experience in public health, it's not easy to draw a conclusion like this in a week or two. And this didn't even make it a week, let alone a week or two. How long would you really need to even go with this to find out if this is legitimately working? Certainly more than four days, a much longer time. And sometimes you can determine that that was helpful and in, in, frankly, in retrospect, right? You see uh, all m- multiple Northeastern cities are now experiencing uptick in disease. And so if you had a comparison where you had city of Philadelphia with mandate versus let's say another city in the Northeast, New York City, Boston, something like that with no mandate, and you compared the data in retrospect, you, you probably, you might determine then the efficacy. Uh, so it may not be easy to decipher. Certainly uh, four days is not much. And I have to say that, um, you know, having 82 hospitalizations on Sunday and then saying, well, we only have 65 on Thursday. Uh, I don't really know what you can take away from that. That, I, I, that is a very short time period. Uh, we, will, we will definitely have to see how this goes. I know I'm hopeful that there is no correlation. I, I'm hopeful that hospitalizations are not significant. You know, I, I am. I just don't think I can say that right now. I don't know. One thing that the city was saying is that they sort of started to see the effects and the benefits before the mandate was being enforced because they announced it on April 11th and said, we'll enforce it next week. And so they're presenting this as when we announced it on the 11th, people started putting masks back on and being more cautious. And that has helped. Do you from your experience in public health and just sort of watching how people respond to changing recommendations versus requirements? Do you think that's true? Does that make sense to you? Well, I don't know. Um, All I can say is that uh, the average cases per day on the 8th of April were was 142 and the average cases per day as of yesterday was 242 so um it did not stop an increase in cases it may have uh you know made the slope less steep uh as compared to maybe neighboring cities but i can't i can't really say now on monday we talked to dr robert field over at drexel about kind of the human behavior side of this and He said, we have to consider the fact that people really feel like they need to get back to some semblance of regular life at this point. 
And I guess the back and forth of this, the the half on, half off, you can't really be half wet is one of the phrases. It makes people want to give up trying. How do you think this affects people's like mindsets and approach to the pandemic? Like, will, will pulling a mandate like this effectively four days after you started kind of make people a little hesitant the next time in case there's an actual need for a mask mandate if we see a real spike in cases? Uh, I'm a little worried that it's going to uh, make people hesitant to listen to public health authorities if we engage in a mandate and then pull the plug in four days. Um, uh, people don't also don't like the back and forth. They don't like the uncertainty. Uh, it's a little distressing to me that the, um, you know, the city of Philadelphia created a specific uh, tiered guideline uh, in February, and then we abandoned it in four days. Um, that does not give a lot of people confidence. Uh, I understand uh, that there's a lot of pressure on the public health authorities. Uh, the most uh, cautious uh, stance would be to institute uh, indoor masking mandates and non-pharmaceutical interventions to prevent the rise in disease. Uh, but that's exceedingly unpopular right now. We are the only major city in the United States. There was uh, news stories across the country about how Philadelphia had done this. It created a lot of pressure, I think, on the public health department. Uh, you know, they say that they're following the science on this, and, and I, I don't want to be critical of that, but I just don't know if we have enough data to make a total assessment. But I, I appreciate that there's a lot of pressure on them to not do this, right? Uh, but as you say, when you reverse yourself, uh, based on those pressures, people lose faith too. Right. And then people may not listen next time you say, look, we really need to do this. It sounds to me like it's impossible to predict what COVID is going to do. But my question is, the city has now said basically they're throwing out these response levels that they introduced earlier in the year. Did they present any other like metrics that they're going to use now or are they just sort of done mandating and they're saying we're going to strongly recommend I'm still a little bit confused about what what their future plan is, if they even gave one. Well, I think they said that I, I think they indicated that they could mandate in the future if it was needed. Right. If we had a very bad strain, a lots of, uh, uh, you know, kind of hospital resource utilization and and problems where we're getting overwhelmed in the hospitals. Um, but what they're going to use in the future, they'll probably use the CDC guidance, which changed um, changed uh, recently, a couple months ago, and was more based on uh, hospitalizations, resource utilization, stuff like that. And so by that CDC guidance, Philadelphia is, is currently low risk. Dr. Darren Marinas from Einstein Healthcare Network. Thank you so much for coming on with us to try to help clear up some of this confusion that we're feeling on <laughs> this Friday. You're welcome. I, I hope I helped clear stuff up and didn't make it more confusing, but it is it is a moving target, right, Jay? It's, oh, yeah. It's, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy to try and clarify some of that. The bottom line, I think, is our tiered system is now gone. It is gone. We do not have a tiered system in Philadelphia, and we will see what we will see. Now, we still got to get our Friday spots in. So, of course, that means we're going to be doing our Sports Fan of the Week. When we come back, Dave Uram joins us with another story about a fascinating Philadelphia sports fan. Plus, Sabrina will tell us about town. 
which is going up, or I guess maybe down in this case, at the Players Club <laughs> of Swarthmore this weekend. Stay with us. We'll have more coming up. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. And it has been a week in Philadelphia sports. Needless to say, between the 76ers, the retirement of Jay Wright, even teams like the Phillies and the Union are all just bundled together in what has been just a wild sports week. And that brings us to the KYW News Radio Philly Sports Fan of the Week with Dave Uram. Dave, who are we talking about this week? Jay, this week we have 55-year-old financial advisor Rodney Boylan from South Jersey, who, you know, I, I, I talked to Rodney probably about a month ago, roughly a month ago for this. Um, I, I would have loved to have talked to him after Wednesday night's Sixers game in which Joel Embiid hit that epic shot because Rodney Boylan, the reason he's the fan of the week is because he loves the games. That's his big thing. He told me that he, he plans basically his schedule, what it seems like, around the games. He loves the drama of the games. He loves the stories. And he loves the information that comes from the games. And basically that Joel Embiid shot the other night, the def- it was the definition of dramatic. So Rodney Boylan is the fan of the week because he basically can't live without live sporting events. I meet up with my teams mostly on the television, right? I am going to make arrangements around big games. You know, otherwise it's, hey, it's 7.30. Let's go. Somebody's on. That's what's going to pop up. And I'm going to flip between games. It's That's why I, 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 the worst nights are when the Flyers and Sixers are on both the same night because I know that they're probably both going to be off the next night. So then what do I do? I, I'm invested like they're, a, like they're a good friend. Like they're a good friend. And basically he told me that he doesn't like scripted shows that pretend to be real, but you know they're not real. Like, he told me that when, when the pandemic was really in its first stages and there were no live sports for four months, that him and his wife watched Marvel shows because Marvel shows, Marvel movies are, you know, they're fake. They don't pretend to be real. They're fake. So he loves the live sports. He loves the reality of the live sports. What is he like when he watches those live sports? Well, I also spoke with his 18-year-old son, Aaron Boylan. When he gets into it, I'll like be in the basement where I am now and I'll hear him from upstairs cheering or getting mad at it or whatever. So. And so when he gets into it, what does it sound like when he gets in? What, what is it like? Cheering, yelling, jumping? Does he use uh, profane um, language by any chance? <laughs> no, it's usually when whoever's rooting for does something really stupid, I'll hear like a big like, come on or something like that. But like, it's not like a sad come on. Like I just said, it's more of it's more aggressive. <laughs> How much do you enjoy when he really gets into a game? Well, when I'm like in other parts of the house, it's fine because, you know, I just kind of hear it. But when I'm next to him, I'll be on my phone. He'll just yell and it'll scare the crap out of me um, if, I, if I'm really close to him. So I can relate to what Aaron was talking about there uh, from the other end, because I remember when I was a kid, much younger watching games. I'm much more mature now, guys. When I was a kid watching games, uh, I would jump around, scream around, make loud noises and cause major disruptions in the house to the point where I would get yelled at. So I can very much relate to the supposed noises that Rodney makes. And the reason, guys, that I wanted Rodney Boylan to be the fan of the week this week is because this is a time period where we have the Sixers in the playoffs, the Phillies in the early parts of their season, and yes, they've been 
really bad this year. The Flyers season is still going on. So you have a chance to have three teams play in one night. And when I was talking to Rodney, that was when the NCAA tournament was still happening. So we had all of that too. So the Philadelphia Sports Fan of the Week, 55-year-old Rodney Boylan, who absolutely loves the drama of the live sporting events. It's an amazing story. And where can people find more on the Sports Fan of the Week? You can go to kywnewsradio.com slash fans. That's KYW's Dave Uram. Thank you so much. Now, before we check out of here for the week, Sabrina, I've heard you talking about this, about this show that you're working on called You're in Town. Yeah. So I got to ask, what is this? (laughs) What's it about? Jay, it is just as ridiculous as it sounds. And yes, that is not you're in town. It's you're in town. The premise is... uh, There's a water shortage going on. And so the government's way of dealing with this has been to regulate bathrooms. And so you cannot pee for free. You can only use these public (laughs) restrooms and they charge you to get in. Obviously, that causes problems for people who can't afford it. Um, Yeah, it is an absolutely ridiculous premise. And that's the point. It's a comedy. It's absurd. It makes fun of itself. It makes fun of the format of a musical. This show won three Tony Awards back in 2002. And I feel like it's kind of disappeared since then. It's not hasn't really toured, didn't have that much of a life after Broadway. But we are doing it at the Players Club of Swarthmore, where I do a lot of community theater shows. I am sound designing for this one. So, um, you know, you can just imagine how much fun it is and interesting to be looking up sound effects for a show called You're in Town. I'll leave that to your imagination. Don't Google that. Don't do it. <laughs> just don't. You don't want to do that. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's today is Earth Day. And I feel like it's uh, actually kind of fitting because the whole thing is about this environmental crisis, right? Water shortage. And they're dealing with it in a really weird way. Uh, but, you know, it, maybe it will give us an idea of reasons why we should be better to our environment. I'm picturing the, the mental image of having to literally pay to get into a bathroom. Think of how like difficult it is if you're just trying to get your wallet out of your pocket, if you're not like some of us who use Apple Pay and things of that nature, able to get your card up. And I've had conversations about the lack of public bathrooms in Philadelphia, actually. And so, there you are. Know, the, for people who are unhoused, where are they going to use the bathroom? There aren't really a lot of open public toilets around. So, uh, you know, as much as this is a completely ridiculous premise of a musical, it kind of deals with some real issues. It does. When, when you've done, I know you've done a lot of a lot of plays with this company. Where was where would this one rank? Even as your sound engineering, where would this one rank in terms of just I guess the amount of fun that you're probably having putting this <laughs> putting this thing together? That's so hard to say because I've done so many different things and it's it's a different kind of fun in each thing. You know, I've I was I performed in Sister Act and that was one of the most fun shows that I ever did because you're playing a dancing nun. Like what could be better than that? But just watching these actors in these roles that the script is just hilarious and they bring so much to it as well. That's just like, it's something unexpected every night. And even the things that I do expect, I laugh out loud at every time <laughs> I see them. It doesn't stop being funny. Um, and then of course, you know, the the government is corrupt and they're, you know, making money off of these people who they're charging to use the bathroom. So that also gets into some sort of political commentary in there. Uh, and it's, it's a whole thing. It's, it's very fun. It's very entertaining. I'm having a great time. I really appreciate 
that community theater is a thing. You know, this is not a touring Broadway production, but I still want to talk about it because I want to acknowledge that community theater gives this outlet for for the people like me who just enjoy doing it and really forms a, a crew, you know, and, yeah. a, and friendship. And this, this cast is no exception that we've all really bonded and are just having a good time. And you're going to have a good time if you come see this, too. That's something you can check out this weekend or any of the next three weekends. It's going to be at the Players Club of Swarthmore. We will have a leak. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> we will have a link to wherever you can get tickets down in the show notes. That will do it for this week. And it has been definitely a week around here. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. Thank you for hanging with us and making it all the way to this Friday. Have a great weekend and we will see you again on Monday.